I'm so glad that you've been able to join us here this morning. Um, Let's start with a word of prayer. Thank you so much, Heavenly Father, for how great you are. And thank you for the time that we have together now. Help us in in learning, but more importantly, just uh, focusing on you and, and your message and what you have. I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in a mighty way in all of our lives. And Lord, I pray that in your wonderful way, you would speak to those who do not know you yet or feel far from you, feel distant. I, I just ask that you would work in your amazing way. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Thank you for our time, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you might be aware, but uh, our pastor teacher Brennan and his wife Stephanie are gone. So everything's well at the Beheimer home <laughs> until they get back. Um, but pray for Brennan and Stephanie as they fly back uh, tomorrow and for a safe journey back. Very good. Um, we're going to talk about communion today. We're taking a break from our series in Romans, and I think it's very important and appropriate to speak about what we do on a monthly basis. And so um, I've entitled this message, Don't Miss Supper. And uh, on the surface, we don't seem to have any problem missing out on supper. <laughs> Some of us. <laughs> and um, anyway, um, God has blessed our nation in that way. Uh, we've been given plenty of grace in that way in his provi- providing for us food on the on the table. And uh, I, I just can't help but think back to the back in the day when our children were little. And for some of you that still have your children as little, uh, all you're trying to do is simply hope that the supper will end up in their little tummies and not on the floor. And um, and then the story uh, evolves into a debate at the table. Please just eat three more bites and that's fine. You know, we'll negotiate, you know, all that kind of thing, right? Um, and one famous memory uh, for Noreen and I, we actually, it was my wife's idea, uh, but our daughter Heidi was a picky, picky eater. And um, so... It came time to say, Heidi, you got to eat your broccoli. Come on. And uh, it's at the point where Noreen is like, okay, I give. How about if we put some chocolate sauce on your broccoli? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She ate it, right? (laughs) Anything with a little sweetener on it. (laughs) Go figure. Well, now Heidi's having the problems of her own, (laughs) trying to get her children to eat. It's fun to watch. And so, uh, but today, and each Sunday, the first of the month, we partake of a supper here. And obviously, it's not a matter of us as leaders uh, pleading with you to eat and drink. Uh, That's obviously not what the deal is. 
This supper is of much greater significance than any meal that we physically eat. There's a rich, rich meaning behind the elements. And its aim isn't to make you a good church attender. Its aim is for intimacy with the Savior. Its aim is for intimacy with the Savior. Okay? It's more important that we learn about the amazing message of Jesus loves me, this I know, at the table. Instead of the the rut of the routine that we can all fall into. We have a real familiarity with this each and every month. And it's important that we shake that familiarity off and start afresh each time we come to observe the Lord's Supper. So I, I ask that you'd please give your heart and mind over to Him now as we consider these uh, that I, I've... Uh, you, you've got an outline in your bulletin there. You can follow along. The importance of the Lord's Supper. And there are three things that God's uh, shown us here in this passage that we're going to look at in 1 Corinthians 11. And then there's two following things for believers, two points for the believers that we want to wrap it up with. But I'd like to just start uh, with this passage that Again, we're very familiar with at communion time, at the Lord's Supper. Jesus, uh, Paul, the apostle, reports it saying, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, considering this passage and other verses this morning, we want to start with understanding the Lord's provision Point number one, the Lord's provision. It's what he's provided. And it really is uh, got a historical uh, slant to it here, I, I believe. Because he's saying, I, I've received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. And he goes back to that time years ago where Jesus and the disciples first instituted. So, letter A, instituting the observance or the ordinance. The whole idea behind point number one, it's really about meaningful commemoration. Meaningful commemoration. And again, I find it so easy to just get into the routine um, many of you have uh, you've attended church all your lives, and so it's it's so easy to just here comes the the tray, take 
do what the pastor says and move along. And we want to go beyond that. We want to go under the surface of that and understand uh, here with letter A, number one, instituting the observance or the ordinance or the, the, the memorial, if you will. This is for as long as the church is in existence, we do this. Some churches do it uh, weekly, some do it monthly, others uh, in other ways, but uh, here we've chosen to do it on a monthly basis. It's important to uh, um, keep it fresh and, and have it real, genuine. But we will continue to observe communion, the Lord's Supper, as long as we are here until he returns. Now, the elements that were brought along, Jesus, you know, mentioned it to his disciples in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, Luke 22. Those references are simply symbols. Nothing will happen to them when you eat them or drink it. Nothing happens it's a symbol. And many people want to think, uh, whether it's the ordinance of communion or the ordinance of believer's baptism, that something special, mystical happens. And it doesn't. It's done to be a symbol, to be a reminder, to re- help you and I remember with a something in your hand, something in that cup to actually partake. And so Christ didn't say, hey, do this if you feel like it. He instituted it as a regular observance of the church. Letter B. It's also the inauguration of the new covenant. The inauguration of the new covenant. It's in contrast to the old covenant. Right? And, you know, we we understand... Uh, I think we understand the idea of the old covenant. Uh, the old covenant. Any, anything that was about a covenant had to be ratified by blood, by the shedding of blood. And so you have that um, with the, uh, the various covenants of the Old Testament. A sacrifice was, was, uh, was offered up because blood had to be shed and ratifying that covenant. So, God in the Old Testament said, I, uh, to, said to Israel, I will be your God and you shall be my people. But then there's all sorts of uh, precepts and regulations and, and such rules to follow and laws that they were to hold to. That was the Old Covenant. In Jesus Christ, we have the New Covenant, which God has made with those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And of that new relationship, the Lord's Supper is the sign and the seal, if you will. And in this new covenant, we have the assurance from God for all we need for the Christian life. It's not up to you to finish what Christ did. Christ said, it is finished And you and I receive that and claim that and walk with it in life. We have the assurance from God for the forgiveness of our sins. We have the assurance 
from God for His presence with us to enable us to overcome sin and the flesh and the world. And He's with us. Your body, if you're a believer, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God. You're not your own. You've been, what? Bought with a price. Okay? And so, the inauguration of the new covenant. It's amazing. Then, letter C, under number one. There's another aspect of uh, what's taken place. That particular time where Jesus instituted the the Lord's Supper, what was going on at that very time? It was a very um, crowded Jerusalem. Why? What was going on? The Feast of the Passover. What in the world is Jesus doing? He fulfilled the Jewish Passover. How incredible is that? And you have to go back to Exodus, right? Exodus, uh, right there at the end of the plagues. Here's the last plague. And what is it? <laughs> the spirit of death is going to come over Egypt. And, you know, everyone's going to be wiped out. Everyone will be killed, judged, except those who put blood on the doorposts. And when the blood was on, when the blood was, as we say, the blood was applied, guess what happened? The Passover from that house. Death did not happen there. The spirit of death passed over that place. And it's all because of that Passover lamb that was sacrificed for that family. And now, remember John chapter 1, verse 29. Here's John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. And there he sees Jesus. And what does he call out? Behold! Hey, everyone look. Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so... Paul himself uh, writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been, past tense, has been sacrificed. That's very important. He's connecting the dot, or the dots there, you know, with Exodus and the Passover. So, the Lord's provision for the Lord's Supper is evident, historically speaking. But number two, the Lord's purpose The Lord's purpose for this is, here's more of a theological slant. It's for genuine communion. Not just for the, it's got the commemoration to it, but it's for the purpose of, here's real communion. Letter A is to remember Jesus. We're in 1 Corinthians 11, and he says, Paul is reporting it. He says, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of Jesus. And what about Jesus are you to remember at communion time? We're not there yet as his death, but we want to remember his person and his worth. His person and his worth. He is worthy of our praise. In all that he did, he, is, he alone is worthy. And letter B, 
not just to remember who he is, his person and his worth, but to proclaim his death. It's his passion and, very important, his finished work. I, I, I don't care if I say that 20 times. We need to remember it's a finished work. You can write it down. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to this. This is um, from the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verse 23 and 24. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Remember, he would say uh, occasionally, My time has not yet come. But here in John chapter 12, he comes to that point where he says, Now the Son of Man must be glorified. And the very next verse. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. We just had a funeral service for a dear brother. On Saturday, Max Rash. And there's evidence of fruit from his passing. And there's evidence of fruit from other people that have passed away. But there's no one like Jesus in the fruit that came from his death. And so when we partake of communion... When we say, think about, remember his death and proclaim that death in your partaking. Again, it starts with his finished work. He finished all that needs to be done to get you right with God and into heaven. You and I are called to repent and believe. And that's not a one-time, past-tense issue. That's an ongoing issue. Continue to acknowledge your sin and turn from it. That's what repent means. Acknowledge it. Turn from it and believe. Keep believing. Is there a point where you've not had to believe anymore? Hey, I made it. I got that faith thing down. I move on. No. You keep walking in faith till you're... However old you are, the oldest person, keep walking by faith, right? So we remember his finished work. And, you know, from that, can you just, maybe this is something you do this afternoon. And you start writing down the various fruits of his death. What did he do at the cross that was so incredible? You know, a lot of people focus in on the fact that he took such a beating. And we saw that, you know, for those that saw the movie The Passion. And we thought, oh my goodness, that is horrific, the beating that he took. And yes, it was. But what they couldn't do in the movie was they could not portray the wrath of God against sin poured out on the Son of God. The innocent, blameless Son of God. They couldn't portray that. All that you heard was, Father, why hast thou forsaken me? And we know 
There. Separation from his father. Why? Because of your sin and mine. His propitiation. Christ absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf. I heard an illustration of this, and I want you to envision it yourself. Um, Northern California, I think of some of the the big uh, reservoirs with the dams that they have to hold back the water. And um, you hear of, you know, there's earthquake and there's a crack in the dam. And uh, the whole community is going to get flooded. But just envision this. The miraculous way in which one person stands there and takes all the water in. That would never happen, right? That would never happen in real life. But do you understand the miracle of what Jesus did in absorbing the flood, the oncoming rage of God against sin? And Christ stood in the way to absorb that wrath and rescue you. So, His finished work, His propitiation... And then the fact that his death, in his death, that paid our ransom, our redemption, that set us free from slavery, from bondage to sin. It resulted in our full pardon. The atonement, the issue of the atonement, his shed blood covers your sin. Just as the pitch covered Noah's ark, keeping the raging waters from coming in. The atonement. And it all leads to the issue of justification based on faith in Christ alone. God declares you righteous because of His death. You are declared righteous. You are declared blameless and holy. That's justification by faith. That's a miracle. And it ought to cause us great joy. (laughs) So, we need to understand the Lord's purpose. The fact that We remember Him and we remember His death. Number three on the back of your outline, the Lord's precautions. In 1 Corinthians 11, there are precautions about taking communion, taking the Lord's Supper. It's to guard against the compromise that happen, that can happen. Uh, it's like we, we uh, receive the elements and say, oh, it doesn't matter. I guess I just, I just guess I take it. And that's that familiarity again that pops in. But here in, in 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 27, look at it. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in, do, in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep or die. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So, the Lord's precautions... Uh, consider the whoever's, whoever eats of the bread or drinks of the of the cup, whoever is are you and I in church setting in a church service. 
But listen, those who are here who have not yet proclaimed faith in Christ, it's not a supper for you. That's just the simple way it goes. It's for those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have that mystical union with Christ now because of faith in Christ. Now, you and I are expected to take, to receive the elements and to remember his death. So it's for believers, those who have admitted their sin, admit their guilt, and they've placed their faith in Christ. But not to do it in an unworthy manner. And let's just think about this here for a bit. Doing it in an unworthy manner is really about doing it in a lighthearted way, a frivolous kind of way, a, 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 a oh well kind of way, and maybe an assuming way. But we are warned here in Scripture not to do that. And here's my problem. I am still easily, I can be easily deceived about myself. And it's easy for me to rather point out something that, well, so-and-so, um, I'm, not, I'm not like that. And so I've rationalized and now justified my being able to partake of communion. This is a bit of a tightrope to, uh, to walk, and here's why. We look at that and say, oh, um, I don't want to partake in an unworthy manner. I better take it in a, what's the other side of it? <laughs> a worthy manner, right? Got to take it in a worthy manner. And I don't know how I'm worthy enough. I, I'm not worthy enough, so I, I don't partake of communion. There's some people that, that truly believe that. Being worthy for communion is not to be found in some kind of achieved level of personal righteousness. Like I've, I've, I've climbed the ladder of personal righteousness now, so now I can take in communion. No, it's, it's the idea that if you know of some uh, sin, some attitude, some, something in yourself that you have not yet confessed to God and made right with another person... That's an, you're taking communion, Lord's Supper, in an unworthy manner. No one has reached perfection, so we keep walking in His way, in the path of righteousness. We want to say, Lord, I confess this to you. Thank you for your atonement, for what you accomplished in your death, and I receive the elements. So it's really when you as a sinner confess known sins and carefully remember the great cost that Christ paid to redeem you. So, be aware of that. Um, I want to share a little bit real quickly. This has been um, such a helpful book. Um, I want to encourage you about uh, this book called Whiter Than Snow. Whiter than snow, um, obviously taken from Psalm 51, and it's written by Paul David Tripp. I want to just share this because it's very insightful here. It's about self-assessment. And he says, sin lives in a costume. That's why it's hard to recognize. The fact that sin looks so good is one of the things that make it so bad. In order for it to do its evil work, it must present itself 
as something that is anything but evil. Life in a fallen world is like attending the ultimate masquerade party. Impatient yelling wears the costume of a zeal for truth. Lust can masquerade as a love for beauty. Gossip does its evil work by living in the costume of concern and prayer. Craving for power and control wears the mask of biblical leadership. Fear of man gets dressed up as a servant heart. Pride of always being right masquerades as a love for biblical wisdom. Evil simply doesn't present itself as evil, which is a part of its draw. You'll never understand sin's sleight of hand until you acknowledge that the DNA of sin is deception. Piercing through a lot of our rationale and thinking about being right. And so we want to dig deep into this issue of, you know, examining our own hearts, right? Because that's letter C, we must examine yourself. Take an honest look into the mirror of God's word and recognize the truth of sin's DNA. And so we need to judge ourselves, right? lest there be judgment poured out on us. And yes, it's, it's God's discipline of His children. It's not the same as in, in regards to ultimate judgment upon the unbelievers. So, the Lord's precautions. Let's not miss the meaning and value of communion by going with our routine Number four, the believer's participation. The believer's participation. Here, my friend, is where it comes into being communion. Communion. That's the word that you see there in the Greek, koinonia. And that's a word we're familiar with, meaning fellowship. It's the word fellowship. But it's the word used here for communion. It's the idea of partnership, community, all right? Being a part of this body of Christ. We take it, this is our participation, we take it and eat. We take it and drink. And the elements are absorbed, consumed and absorbed. So, I suggest to you that as we participate, we now... Enter into communion. This is the Lord's Supper. We want to enter in to having communion with the Lord. And we, letter A, we take it with a grateful heart. Following Jesus' example. He took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. I'm forever grateful. That little song that we've sung in the past. I'm forever grateful for the cross. And so we come with a grateful heart to the Lord's Supper. We come to the Lord's Supper, letter B, taking it with a humble heart. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord. Take opportunity 
when you know. It's not like we're changing up the schedule with the Lord's Supper. You know when we're having the Lord's Supper. It's the first Sunday of the month. So if you know that there's a problem that you have with another person in the body, call them, get with them, get things made right. We say that and most of us, I include myself, most of us just shine it on and we don't get things made right. Why? Because we just assume, well, they're not going to be bothered. Don't assume. Get things made right. Even in the little ways. Just make sure you're communicating clearly. Saying, I just want to make sure we're okay. We're all right? Okay, thank you. Because I, I, I said something stupid to you last week and I just, I wanted to make things right. Don't take those little sins as no big deal. Get it made right. And again, communion will be next month, the first of the Sunday. Get things made right before you come. Prepare. That's a part of preparation. So you take communion gratefully with a humble heart and let her see. I had a hard time figuring out exactly how to state this, but take it with a fixed heart. A fixed heart. I get so easily distracted this morning's service. The computer PowerPoint doesn't work and I become a shaking wreck up here or something. Or at home, whatever. If something happens, I, we can always get off track and distracted. And so the issue of taking communion with a grateful heart, a humble heart, and a fixed heart on Jesus. God help me to just have my my little figurative blinders on right now to keep my focus on you and your death and your amazing gift of life. And by the way, all of these marks under number four of participation in the Lord's Supper, all these are just regular issues of growing in the Christian life. Give thanks in everything. Yeah. Humble yourself. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it all should result in the idea that I have this incredible privilege. Number five, the incredible privilege, which is a perpetual privilege of communing with the Lord Jesus. It's not... I'd rather that we distinguish it. We say communion a lot, but... We're participating in the Lord's Supper. And it's not until your heart is ready that you enter into communion with the Lord. Intimacy with Him. Sharing your heart with Him, saying, I know I need your grace. We're needy people and we need to tell Jesus that. We need to keep telling Him, I'm needy. I need your grace. I need your leading and guiding. Help me. And so we glory Letter A, under number five, we, let's glory in His perfect, finished work. Letter B, let's rejoice in the God of our salvation. Psalm 13, verse 5 and 6, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. How's your joy factor? During the week, And again, I, I, 
we got to understand. Let's not turn it into an emotional yippee. We're not going to do that because that's not, I mean, that, that can be a part of joy. But joy is even in the tough stuff. I'm going to have joy. Joy. Uh, the joy of the Lord is my what? My strength. And then let us see. It's not only that we glory in his finished work. We rejoice in the salvation that he's provided. We abide in him. We abide in his word. When we are doing those things, we will have such a, a beautiful time of communing with the Lord. That's of his grace. All of his grace. This is a quote from J. Vernon McGee. You remember listening to J. Vernon McGee? J. Vernon McGee says this. This is at the bottom of your outline. The Lord's Supper is the highest expression and the holiest exercise of Christian worship. The Lord's Supper is the highest expression and the holiest exercise of Christian worship. A lot of times we get to thinking, oh, we had such a wonderful time singing. Wasn't that worship great? Well, that's a part of worship. But that notice I said that's a part of worship. What we're doing right now, this is a part of worship. And here, as we partake of communion with a prepared heart, with a humble heart, we're really demonstrating here's the highest expression of our worship. Bowing at the foot of the cross and calling out to Him to do His good work. And so, we're going to have, in just a moment here, we're going to have the men come forward and um, we'll have prayer and then distribute the elements. And... Um, we all, we all are needy people. And we need to get focused right now in one place and one place only. Not with stuff coming up. Not with who's sitting next to us or in front of us or whatever. Just get focused on this. And let me just share with you John Newton and this poem that John Newton wrote. In evil long... I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did. 
but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou may live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit now is filled that I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. This is a very special time that we need to take in a very somber, serious way. It is not for little children, for a snack time. It is for those who have placed their faith in Christ and are serious about saying, Lord, uh, do your good work in my heart. I'd like the men to come at this time. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to think about this uh, very important topic of the death of Christ at this time. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Lord Jesus, we lift you up and praise you because of what you did in going to Calvary and laying down your life as the perfect sacrifice for sin. And Lord, thank you for your work in helping each one of us here who are believers to have come to that place uh, where we've uh, become a new, a new man, a new woman. Thank you for your amazing work in bringing about reconciliation and in bringing about new life in Christ. Lord, may we uh, partake of this time uh, with gratefulness in our hearts, giving you the praise for what you've accomplished. We pray in Jesus' name.